You're listening to the Design Engineering Podcast, where we explore topics important to Canada's mechanical engineers, product designers, and machine builders. I'm Mike McLeod, editor of Design Engineering Magazine, and in this episode, I interview Massimiliano Maruzzi, who goes by Max, and is the founder and CEO of Zaba.ai, a developer of AI software for industrial robots. Before the Toronto-based company came out of stealth mode in 2022, Maruzzi already sported an impressive resume, working with the likes of Lamborghini, Lockheed Martin, NASA, and Autodesk. In Exaba.ai, however, Maruzzi says he has smelted that previous experience and his expertise in material science, robotics, and mechanical engineering to create a truly industrial AI, as opposed to a large language model AI like ChatGPT. With it, he says, manufacturers can tap into capabilities that are inherent in industrial robots, but have previously laid dormant due to the limitations of controller software. To date, the company has developed two major applications of its AI algorithm, Xtrude and Xcognition. The former, a large-scale robotic 3D printing application, was used to lay up the three-part chassis of the APMA's Project Arrow, the Canadian Auto Parts Association's all-Canadian electric car from composite materials. The second, Xcognition, is a hardware-agnostic AI module that learns how and where a robot needs to move via user and sensor input and self-corrects when the robot gets off course. It then auto-generates the control code to make that happen and translates the code into whatever proprietary robot programming language is required. In testing with Lockheed Martin, Maruzzi says the use of Xcognition resulted in a 10 times increase in accuracy for a precision drilling application using off-the-shelf hardware. With that, let's get into the interview. Hi, Max. Thanks for joining us on the Design Engineering Podcast. Hi, Mike. It's my pleasure, definitely. Thank you for having me. So just to give uh, some background, could you introduce yourself and, and a little bit about the company that uh, you had, uh, Zaba.ai? Is that the correct company name? Yeah, it is correct. Zaba.ai. And I will tell you a little bit more about the name in a second. Sure. And so again, thank you again, Mike. Uh, Max Moruzzi. So I'm the CEO of Zaba. My background started as um, an aerospace engineer from uh, Milan. And then in the early 2000, I moved here in the United States to work on an incredible project as an aerospace engineer that was, and it is, the Boeing 787 Dreamliner. So I had the opportunity to be immersed in the design and deploy what is uh, the, the entire process automation to build major component uh, in plastic, in carbon reinforced uh, material. Uh, so all the system that uh, allow the design and manufacturing for fuselage, wing, uh, and so all that automation, I had the opportunity to design it from scratch. And, you know, and it's been amazing because uh, that technology, that automation, that material, that, uh, let's say, disruption changed the entire business model of the aerospace forever. There is no mm -hmm. single company right now that is not adopting what actually uh, Boeing pioneer, okay, uh, back in the early 2000s. And so um, from there, I had the opportunity to work with many other companies in the aerospace, uh, so Airbus, uh, Lockheed Martin, Gulfstream, uh, Bombardier, you name it. So uh, it's been a pleasure always introducing uh, automation, cutting-edge automation, intelligence in the process, uh, and as well as smart material. Okay? That's the combination in order to really disrupt and bring sustainability. Fast forward at the moment, uh, in 2014, uh, a company that I had in small percentage with uh, 
to other engineers in the, in New Jersey. Uh, company was again focusing advanced automation and, and material. Got acquired by Autodesk, so the giant in San Francisco. Then I start uh, started to work with the CTO of Autodesk in order to implement and deploy the concept of generative manufacturing. So in essence, the AI applied to the robotics, applied to the manufacturing in general. The reason of that one was because, uh, you know, what is now my partner in the company, another Italian guy, Francesco Iorio, <laughs> he was writing in Autodesk uh, uh, the generative design. So the AI applied to the design. So we met and then, uh, how can I say, it was love at first time, <laughs> at least from a technology and science point of view. And then we worked together for four, almost five years in Autodesk. Then in 2019, we left the company, not because uh, any bad blood or anything like that. Autodesk is fantastic. It's just because we had the dream that we really wanted to do more with the technology that we, we started to build in Autodesk. We really wanted to impact uh, you know, the manufacturing, the construction industry. That's really what we wanted to do. And so we created uh, Augmenta first. Uh, that's the first company that we launched in 2019, which mm. is fully dedicated to digital construction. So again, AI, advanced math in the, again, with the aim of automating uh, design engineering aspect like electrification, mechanical and plumbing. The other one is Xaba. So my partner is the CEO for Augmenta. I am the CEO for Xaba and Xaba instead is all the AI in the robotics, really creating that intelligence. Uh, creating that intelligence that is needed in the automation to really deploy sustainability into the uh, manufacturing process. So that's the mission of Xab, okay? Intelligence automation to enable sustainable manufacturing. That's the mission of our company, right? Yeah, I, just going on your career, just doing the research for this, I was, I just kept, you know, uh, discovering another bit, uh, work with Lamborghini maybe at some, yeah. at yes. some point. Uh, uh, you mentioned the... Um, Lockheed Martin, uh, working on the uh, the fiber optics, uh, fiber uh, reinforced polymers, uh, part of their uh, Skunk Works uh, drone, I believe, uh, right. uh, surveillance drone that they worked on. Uh, the work at Autodesk and the generative AI. Um, I'm trying to think if I'm leaving anything out here. It just goes on and on. It's kind of a, a dream, uh, something to do with cryogenic tanks for a NASA fuel storage. Right. Really, just an impressive and eclectic career so far yeah uh, like i said i never let's say is it, my blessing and my curse in a sense that i love to disrupt i love to start uh, uh you know a new path and not just because it's a new path because i really want to improve uh, our let's say life uh, our manufacturing process uh, i want to inspire in that direction so i never saw you know uh, what is new as um i can say as something to have a fear of Okay, I always see this as an opportunity to open a new window, and then I'm sure that there are 10,000 more of that one. So I always attacking in that way. And plus, I want to leave something for everything I got. Okay, you know, by enjoying this experience with these different companies. So I'm trying very hard, obviously, to to pay back the the, the incredible journey that uh, uh, I've been through, and and again. Uh, in the future. So um, to me, it's, it's been, I've been passionate from the beginning. You know, I can tell you from the first uh, Lego box uh, to the first uh, uh, Arduino to uh, the first machine that I built years and years ago. And then having the opportunity to say, you know what, let's leave the arrogance that we have sometime as an engineering to say that 
we are the only one that can, in essence, express something. When instead the machine, when instead the other side of the physical world wants to talk with us, has been always a mission for me. I'm saying a machine wants to say something. Like back in the day, uh, this famous guy, Khan, in the architecture was saying a brick wants to be something, okay? It doesn't mm. just want to be a brick. It wants to be part of an experience. The same is a robot. But with the arrogance sometimes, we limited that to what our constraint, not his constraint, okay? It's never been his choice. We impose it to them. And so for me, that mission, the opportunity to bring the intelligence, the opportunity to, lever, um, to leverage AI and other mathematics, the opportunity to open the, 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 the chance for as well the physical world to talk back to me has been always what I've been passionate. Similar for the material. Okay, really the material can talk to you in different form. You know, verbal language is not the only thing that nature taught us that is the way to communicate to us. Okay, so there we go. So I have an incredible <laughs> passion mission. In that yeah, I mean, the, the, the material science, the robotics and the AI and coupling all of those seem to be the seem to be a, a common theme throughout most of that impressive uh, work that you've done in the past. Why is the AI such a crucial, and we will get to the applications of that, but why is the AI such a crucial part to couple with the robotics, whether it's yep. using robotics to, to additively manufacture or to increase precision and, and so on and so forth? Why is that, why is that the missing piece? Yeah. And that, that's at least I will share with you what has been my experience, why the AI. First, uh, uh, what we're doing in Saba, and I know, Mike, that you, probably you, you heard that this, what I'm, I'm about to say a million of times, but it's not for the hype, okay? It's not for the hype. The reason why I'm using the hype, will give you a concrete example. Uh, a few years ago, when I started to uh, design and manufacture my own robot, because in Saba, beside bringing cognitive brain to commercial available uh, robotics or collaborative robot, I built and we built our own robot, okay? So really from scratch. And um, when I started to build that one, and uh, I saw, let's say, limitation, uh, not just in the design, how the design is of a robotic system from a mechanical point of view, but as well in the control of the robot, whatever is used today to control the robot, either, you know, from an, any OEM control, okay? I don't want to mention name because specific name are not, are not present in this discussion, so it's not polite, but let's say, OEM controls, they have limitation in that direction. And so, and so when I started that one, I started in reality attacking the problem in an analytical way, okay? So I said, you know, there must be a way to create an analytical model that describe the complexity of this machine. No? Not necessarily I jump into the machine learning because, oh, okay, you know, everybody's using machine learning for sure, I have to go there. No, you have to use the right recipe where is needed, okay? Because it's an sure. optimization problem in that sense too. And so I attacked it analytically. And then along the way, <laughs> something was surfacing in a very evident way. The complexity of the physics of a polar axis machine, which I mean, elasticity, transmission, dynamic, and then in some environment, even temperature is relevant. Mm -hmm. No, okay? So in essence, the problem started to become really complex extremely non-linear. And to be honest, the, uh, the analytical aspect is, is failing, okay? It cannot control that complexity. It became mm. something that you had to constantly retune some of these variables that were describing the analytical method that I started from, okay? 
and it was a never ending story. And so I used the AI because the AI is extremely powerful in order to handle extremely complex problem where the correlation between the different variable is even nonlinear. It was the right tool in essence, not, not because it's a hype. It was the right tool to use, okay, uh, mathematically speaking. And sure. so when I apply to the eye, then I start to see really the physics, like I was saying in a moment, talking back to me. I saw the result, an incredible joy, because I, then we were talking the correct language, okay, between what I was trying to, to have this machine to do and what the body was actually communicating back to me. So that's the story why I use the high there. Similar situation is for when we develop uh, the extrude technology, which is the same thing. It's like excognition. The, the, the difference is that it's extended a little bit more, where in essence, the variable are not just to the body of the machine, but are as well to the process parameter that control, for example, flow rate, temperature, air gap, material, you know, you have to do that. So there we go. That's why I use the high. So, okay. So just, just so I'm on the same page as you, uh, could you speak a little bit about machine learning, AI, the differences between them, how they're similar, uh, how they fit into it. Yeah, if you could just sort of lay the groundwork and then we'll dive into the, the application. Yeah. So again, uh, I'm sure that uh, other ones may have a different definition, okay? Because it's kind of a little bit uh, fluid uh, yeah. firstly, in, in that direction. So uh, obviously the AI encompass uh, a different aspect, okay? Uh, of different type of operator. Uh, it can go from... Uh, <laughs> A natural language processing to a convolution neural network if you want to uh, do an image processing to a regression model to a structure vector machine so it really depends so is is a is a big family uh, of different operators in the case of the machine learning instead you know this is what i can tell you i may consider the machine learning kind of a subset of the it is a part of the of the ai in that but it has another aspect where in essence like the word says, you are using this learning process. So in essence, you are mapping, mathematically speaking, a process that you are trying to synthesize via a set of, uh, in the case, your machine learning on a deep neural network, you are mapping a set of neurons in order to get a sort of on steroid polynomial that describe, which is made of a set of uh, basis function, uh, in order to describe whatever phenomenon you have in front of you. And so to me, the machine learning is the right tool because that's exactly what I'm doing, okay? I really want to map the physics and the elasticity and the transmission and the process that I have in front of me. I will tell you in a moment that S condition is not just about the machine learning. There is as well an AI component that we apply in what is our proprietary, um, it's not a large language model, it's more a robotics language model that we're building in order to automate the part, uh, how you talk with the machine, how you program the machine, because it's the other expensive task in robotics, and that's why robotics didn't expand so much for in the last 60 years, because of this one, because it's very difficult to program, it's very difficult to deploy, there is a high barrier. So there we go. So in that sense, there is one more thing I want to add, Mike, however. Sure. I think to me, what is really, really interesting is this one, because I had a lot of questions in that direction, even from 
customer and big company that are approaching us and then and, uh, and and I work on the past as well so the point is what's the difference between an AI and an industrial AI okay mm, that, yeah that is really the key point okay you see an AI sometime <laughs> let's put it that way if you develop an AI for uh, for a game uh, <laughs> or for uh, some entertainment, uh, or, or, or maybe in your database, maybe you have the luxury to say that the result that, or the performance that you achieved the day before, maybe are not so impactful, at least for you, if the day after are not exactly the same. In the case hmm. of an industrial AI, the robustness and the fact that you have to build the same car frame, you have to execute the same weld, you have to drill in the same way. You have to print with the same result of quality. It's fundamental. When yeah. I, I use the first machine learning algorithm back in the 2000 on the 787 story that I we shared at the beginning, right there, the machine that is driving the deposition of the fiber on top of the fuselage, the wing, has a control inside. So it's a little uh, national instrument box a compatrio with inside the machine learning and that machine learning is in charge to control all the parameter like temperature compaction curing of the fiber that we're laying but to maintain that one with the repeatability that we could certify the process so, so one of the big point of the 787 was that automation is the key and consistency is the key in order to qualify a new material in the process because if i'm repeatable i can qualify it because i know what are the kpi that I'm going for, okay? That's really what quality is, okay? And so to me, what I'm developing now, that's why I'm insisting, is industrial AI because I cannot, it cannot just be an AI with the variance of the algorithm with the intention of the algorithm to discover a new path. It's good in some field, it's not really good in other one, okay? So that, that's the point. So what we're building there is an industrial AI because it controls a process, because it has to be consistent, because its performance is, is, is audition, is uh, convergency, has to be extremely, extremely uh, repeatable, consistent and controllable. So that's really the difference between an AI and, uh, and uh, an industrial AI. There is another major aspect there, Mike, that I want to clarify that is this. Mm -hmm. The number of paper of AI applying to, to game or image processing or predictive analytics, all the big, where everybody's using it, okay? Sure. It's humongous. You have a lot of paper, okay? If you want to read something about AI image processing, you, 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 you will be flooded with gigabyte of uh, <laughs> Now, I'm challenging everybody to say, go ahead and find a paper that talks about a machine learning system that express the physics of a machine of a process right there i don't even know if you counted in the finger of of two hands okay i i i'm testing the the, the academia on that one too and sure. there is you know that's 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 the other point when we develop the machine learning for the robot we have to develop the ontology too what is the ontology the ontology is what is fundamental for any supervised algorithm he has to know how you're cataloging that data, how, how you're going to catalog the data, okay? So you have to establish the ontology to say, oh, this is the arm of the robot, this is the gearbox. Uh, that's, uh, just to give you some example, that's the coloration between the two. Otherwise, you know, talking about machine learning, oh, I'm using TensorFlow, oh, I'm using PyTorch, oh, by the way, I'm using ChatGPT on that one. It's worth it, nothing. That's just an empty box, okay? It's really mm -hmm. an empty box. 
At the end of the day, your brain, the human brain, makes you what you are, not because you have more or less neuron than me, okay? Because of the experience that you have been through. That's really what makes you different from me, okay? And so that's exactly what I had to build there, a set of experience that enable that uh, algorithm to learn. The algorithm is just an operator. Like when they teach you in calculus, hey, you want to use an integral here or a derivative uh, is double, um, is a weak analysis uh, with Lebesgue, are you in Riemann space on the other one? So that one is, is grammar and, and definition, okay? What I'm talking about is completely different. That's an operator. It will never make the difference, uh, the operator. That's the part of the intelligence that comes in three different forms, uh, predictive, uh, deduction, and abduction, okay? The part that we're doing here when we decided to implement the ontology is the abduction. That's what is very difficult for a Turing test to pass, yeah, okay? Yeah. To say, I have to create an ontology. There we go. So, <laughs> okay. So the if I if I can sort of boil some of that down, the when you're when you're dealing with a new material in a when you're dealing with a material in a new application like building uh, the stealth drone or the fuselage for the seven eighty seven, you ha- that repeatability that need for precision and repeatability and especially in a i think it's an uh, anisotropic material like uh, reinforced carbon uh polymers with a carbon fiber you have to know where the stresses are how the lines of you know reinforcement have to mold in such a way that you're not getting shearing forces you're getting compressive or stretching forces yeah. in the right places and and the the ai can s- see all those components and lay them down in a way that that it would be difficult for a human being to necessarily intuit as their exactly you phrase it so well it's not that the human being cannot do it is the time that it will take it to arrive there as well okay, okay? it's such a complex problem and the correlation are so huge that the, the human is it goes to be different difficult for to do it even just simple to visualize it is such a multi-dimensional that becomes really really difficult that's where the eye is not anymore an hype is really an incredible tool that you have at your disposal that's what i did but as well for the project arrow that we did in canada you know yeah. i use exactly the same thing that's what i'm saying i didn't just make a printing that chassis is going around the the entire north america is the only functional 3D printing. What means functional? Exactly what you said. When I lay the beads, in that case, with fiber inside, the beads follow the stress streamline. Otherwise, that frame, especially the roof, I can tell you, it will collapse immediately. It was mm-hmm. just a layer-by-layer printing. You cannot do an isotropic material with a layer-by-layer. That, that's just a, okay, if you want to use it for aesthetic, do it. But if you really want to have a functional one that really respond uh, to the environment, then you have to build it in that way. So even in that direction, that's where I use the, um, you know, these technologies. In that case, is a regression model. So. Right, right. So this is a part of the extrude, uh, the right. extrude project that uh, that I or product. I how how should I refer to it? Is it's a cool. it's a collaboration you did with a three D printer in Europe or in Italy? Yeah, um, the name of the company. So it was it was a large, uh, a large 
part printer that does like an FDM using a a six degree robotic arm with an extruder as an end effector. And it's laying, uh, laying out. Is that the correct phrase? It's, it's, it's putting, yeah. So no, 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 we'll get into the arrow stuff. No, you're 100% right. It's an FDF process uh, and is a large machine that we build for Brighton is the name of our partner in Europe. That's right. And we use, we use a six axis robot in my lab in order to uh, train the machine learning model that we deploy to the machine. Okay. So the machine I is see. a hybrid multi-axis machine. The training I did it in my lab, then I deploy that onto the machine. And that's the part that we, we develop like Saba. And, uh, and we use that machine in order to print the entire project arrow. And, and that's the only one right now that is working around that is made of three parts. That's where the sustainability is interesting. There are only three components made with the same material. And the machine is consuming 35 kilowatt per hour to produce the chassis. Currently, currently, any, any manufacturer is using at least 500 parts minimum if not 700 in, in a car chassis so sure. the cost in managing and the co2 and the energy managing just the logistic is a nightmare and then god forbidden that you want to personalize something you have to throw away billions of capex investment in the mold so that's what you call distributed manufacturing that's what you call sustainability okay that's Got really what, what you call it. that's why the intelligence in the automation can go there now in the robotics mike because that's Mission number one for us is there are, is a $7 billion market because on a nearly $7 billion spend, minimum, is more than that one, just to program and deploy a robotic system or collaborative one. Because it's, it, that's, if it costs 70K, it costs you 300K. That is all documented, the statistic, just to, to, to do something with your machine. It's extremely by hand. And we are automating that one, okay? These are the two components where I have the physics of the model, the machine learning that we were talking that recreate the entire physics of the robot. That's the deep part of the brain. And then the cortex is our proprietary, is not a large language model because I don't want to, like I said, I'm not, I don't like to talk about hype. Right now, whoever says that I'm going to train a GPT-4 system or a Falco or a Llama, one of the latest ones that have a little bit neuron and say, oh, I'm training that on a multimodal data. So I'm retrieving a picture. I'm able to associate that that's a welding gun with some torch and an angle. To me, you see, okay, I, I can have that discussion anytime. It will take you years before, you, uh, which is a hybrid. Uh, between um, a language model and, if you like, uh, a convolution neural network, okay? And, and that one really helps us to create this association between uh, the verbal aspect, so the process parameter, like a welder that talks in a shop floor and says, you know what, I want a MIG welding with uh, three-eighths of an inch distance from the torch, a leading angle of 30 degree, and then the rest the system does because we are using... Uh, vision system to retrieve the part, extract all the feature via deep learning, where that's where you have the convolution neural network, so the user doesn't have to do uh, anything. And then we allow the user to talk or type, like very simple language. And then the rest is history. We program in rapid in, um, in, 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 in the OEM, uh, KRL, uh, FANUC language, or UR. And there are articles outside. You saw probably the one from Loki that we just released. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. So for the the Canadian Auto Parts Manufacturers Association, yeah. their Aero project, 
Your company was chosen to uh, to create the chassis, and I, you mentioned that it was built in three different pieces. And I'm getting I'm getting from you that that the upside of the traditional metal stamping, metal forming, um, forging, whatever it is to make it is that you do get that um, repeatability, right? You get that quality. It's not easy, but it's it's attainable. Yes. If we're going to delve into other kinds of materials, like we talked about before, with uh, having to put them in the correct stress lines and so on and so forth, we need uh, a technology that can respond and uh, adapt in and and understand uh, holistically where those stress lines are going to be, how to lay it out, and do it in a way that doesn't take forever. That's that is one hundred percent correct. So we have to do a couple of things. We have to remove the reason why the AI is there as well is because what you said before. If I'm building a car and my chassis has to perform with the same KPI every hour of the day, every day of the week, and so on and so on, I have to remove the bias of the humans. No, you you if you walk into shop floor today you still see operator playing with the speed and so on and adjusting by ear. That's good and it's not good because then that's where you have the variance of your part. That's where you have the waste of that one and so on and so on. So I had to remove that one, one aspect. Two, if I'm, like I said before, this was my learning 20 years ago with the 787. If I build it in that way, then I'm able to certify a new material because I can put in front of any commission, this KPI will always be repeatable, better than what you have today. So let's qualify it. Let's define the KPI and let's qualify it. Then there is um, another component that is right now 3D printing, because we have to be always realistic. 80% of the printing project that you start worldwide is still a failure, okay? Let's mm. be honest, okay? It's, it's, it's like the AI, no? Cool, but then the people are starting to get skeptical because of what we said before, no? Is an industrial AI or, or this algorithm tomorrow is going to produce for me because I got this question, something completely out of the loop, okay? And so that's why there is this strong distinction between what is an AI and industrial AI, and you have to educate the field on that. Similar is with the additive manufacturing. It's been perceived really good, but then uh, the results are struggling to, to be there. And why? Sure. I mean, if we pretend to do functional part by slicing a solid and plop a material, something is wrong. But it's not wrong with the process. It's wrong with us that, again, we have the arrogance to say, yeah, I think it can be done in that way. Have you ever seen nature <laughs> laying a tree in that way? I did it. I absolutely did it. It's, it's an anisotropic material. If you look at the path, that if I use the analogy, how the cell stem is actually using in nature, yeah, go figure if that one is a layer by layer. I can tell you now. Okay. And so that's the, the point that I'm, I'm saying. Then the eye will help you to position along all the streamline. That's exactly what we did for the Project Arrow. That's how you build it. And then the other thing was the lesson learned to say is never about one material and that it can do everything. In fact, in the Project Arrow, one of the things that we patented is the fact that we combine with metallic. Because the other question that I got is, can survive crash test? Okay, Because that's the fantastic question for all yeah. the OEMs. Sure. So let's define what is this crash test, okay? So the crash test is the fact that you are receiving an incredible amount of load in a very short period of time, and you have to be able to distribute to the structure in a way that either your structure is not too rigid, and so you end up to kill the passenger because yeah. 
it's so rigid that it will chop the passenger. Sorry, if I'm a little yeah, bit too no. <laughs> the other one is no, you have to be able to distribute it. So the, over there is where we basically pattern the combination between polymer and metallic foam, because that helps to work as a spring and really deploy the energy into that one. So is there a way to create a, a, a better, um, let's say, automation and design process for the automotive compared to what it is today? Absolutely, absolutely. But we have to remove the antibody that is inside, no? It is inside correctly because I have to say, you know, there are people that like to take advantage of the hype and sell something that they have absolutely no idea why is that case? And that's why I love the question that you had. Okay, so let's be sure that the chat that we're having here is not another chat to say, oh, AI, AI, AI. Yeah, that's a, you have to trust me. They, no, I'm trusting nothing. I'm telling you exactly what is the base behind it here. And so I just give you an example right there. And robotics is the same. Look, I, I'm taking ton of picture how the welding is happening in car that cost sixty to seventy thousand dollar. I was a car dealer taking picture underneath that one. They are awful. I mean, they are simple. Check it yourself. They are, they are awful. I mean, then, then, then they say why some part get thrust or collapse or it doesn't perform in that way, whatever. Sure. I mean, yeah, you are pretending a machine that doesn't have a brain to do the job for you, and then you are complaining why you don't have the result. Is the fault of the machine? I don't think so. The, the machine is telling you you are not listening. So that's 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 the other part. So yeah, no, absolutely. That's why I'm telling you this conversation is sure. important. Sure. And and just so I understand the the upside of building a chassis out of out of and using three a three D printing process to do this, I imagine it's lighter, uh, and we're still keeping the repeatability the the quality intact. What are the other what are the other sort of maybe less obvious uh, upsides? Why was it important for the Arrow project to have this kind this material as a part of its chassis it, as opposed to the traditional is a great question and uh, um uh, origin let's put it in that way uh the first discussion that we had with the aero uh, team uh in charge of that one was um it was very interesting because on our side exaba we said look it's a great uh, opportunity but let's really discuss what are really how we want to disrupt this field because we don't want to build another car with a battery okay hmm. there's not okay we, we can talk this would we require a different podcast but mm -hmm. um not so much innovation on on that one okay sure and so uh if we really want to disrupt fundamentally we have to disrupt by changing really what today is the big cost of this one which is the manufacturing uh, the material the co2 that is producing the energy and all of that so that's been the discussion from the get-go and so then when we started to discuss that the point was to show to the rest of the world that that, uh, that car comes with such an incredible innovation innovation what mean that for example right now a car dealer could be the one that really build the chassis, because if the machine is built as the AI, that's the, as the other part, it comes with the know-how. So the, the, the game is a little bit the reverse, no? It's coming with the knowledge, and so it is the machine that is training you in, in that direction, and then the two of you are actually growing in, in, in doing that and in learning, in capacity, and so on. But then you don't have to have, you know, ton of kilometer of land 
pack with a ginormous factory with the cost of logistics that we said before that is unbelievable and you are not even using the beauty that nature is showing you all over the clusterization okay so when i was talking with flavio is try to imagine that if we do this one the distribution in manufacturing the reduction in in co2 the reduction in weight so that means that the life the life of the battery will be longer than what it is right now what was the point to build an electric car if later on the car weighs four tons and i'm not going to mention what car it is because it's not it's, it's not fair okay <laughs> so there is no point no i mean yep great you know let, let's talk about really physics and then do the, the energy equation here for a moment for real okay let's, let's just talk about how let's do it for real okay and so there is not too much point on that so we build it with that material because it's 35 kilo per hour reduce the co2 you can distribute it on that one um it, the car dealer can become your manufacturer so the the, the, the reduction that we, you will have in spending money to just managing the logistic is humongous number two because it's open, everybody could participate and impact. So let's assume that you have a dream to really uh, impact in the transportation industry, you know, which is a challenge that some, I heard more than one people now talking about. Okay, The disruption of the transportation will not happen if you don't involve the community. It cannot just be the OEM sitting in their own table. It's part of the city. If it's part of the, your life. If you want an autonomous car working, that's what you have to be able to open, okay? You have to be able to open to the cluster, to the community, to the fund. Hey, but if you have a system that is in closed door and uh, is so limited, is somehow so arrogant in, in, in some point, it will be difficult. Let me give you an example, which I always discuss, even in, in my robotics field, about your ChatGPT and the other thing that I was talking about. It's like, uh, the, the, the analogy that I make is this one. Why I'm actually credible when I'm talking about large language model for robots? At least that's what I've been told when, when I had this question by, by a guy that know uh, AI quite well, okay? If I pretended to tell you that I was training GPT-4 with multimodal data and do it, it's like me saying, you know what? I solved the problem now I know why a Tesla cannot be autonomous in the middle of a traffic city, for example, Naples in Italy, where the people don't respect the red light, you know, sometimes, or they like to walk into that one and they like to park in second line, okay? Fine, it's part of the community, it's good, okay? It's like that, that is big, but vice versa. If you go in the Coca-Cola factory in Atlanta, or even here in Chicago, inside to a warehouse, you're going to find a 30 years that you have automated guided vehicle inside there, that they're working every day with zero accident. What's the difference? Is the definition of the problem that is fundamentally different. So that's why I give the example. I, I, the reason why I don't go with an NLP for a robotics because it's not the right way. The machine has a precise grammar to talk about. So I'm inside to the warehouse. Why do I have to go in, in an NLP, figure it out why two people are talking in a bar in that way? The same situation is for the autonomous aspect that, you know, right now everybody, everybody is struggling uh, to achieve. And because it's this one, I mean, you are not really defining the problem as you should. And there is a little bit of arrogance and the community is not involved. Sidewalk, you know, you, you probably use assistant driving car. The sensor are still failing. Is the sensor the problem? 
No, it's not the sense of the problem. It's like Einstein, Leonardo said it before me, a problem well-defined is going to find the solution. Where is the committee that sit down with the city hall and say, you know what, the sidewalk, let's talk a moment about that design, the holistic that we were talking in a moment. Like me, if I would have put the fiber layer by layer rather than following the streamline, I would have failed, failed miserably, miserably. That's a little bit where the hike can help us, okay, in some situation some other one, maybe not, is on the fact to remove our arrogance to say, oh, we have the solution. For sure, we know what is the solution. And we tend to sketch the solution right there. and say, you know what? The time should be spent to define the problem. So, sorry, I elongated the moment, but uh, that's, that's, that's some, some of the point, Mike. Okay, okay. Would it, would it be correct to say that, an, that, that industrial AI is one, especially if we're talking about robotics, right? My limited understanding of robotics programming is that it's difficult. It is. And, and the the appeal of a cobot is that sort of you can teach it. You don't have to know a programming yeah. language. You have a teach pendant. You, you define a point A. You define a point B. It figures out the path to go between them. The sense I'm getting is that the not, the notch up from that to what you guys are doing is that through whatever sensory feedback a vision system maybe an operator that the ro the robot is adapting in real time and rewriting its own code such that it's getting closer and closer to the optimal the theoretical right. optimal thing without anybody having to fiddle with the source code would that be correct? In correct, it is correct. You, the, the, there are two aspects here that I have to clarify, because you 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 brought a very very interesting point on the table, and so the the one of the point let's say of the, the collaborative is exactly what you said. No, let's remove the burden that today every company, mom and pop, large corporation has to face when they buy a new robot. You have to program in the language of the robot, and every OEM has its own. But where are you going to find people that know KRL, know <laughs> an ABB rapid language, a FANUC and so on? No, you can find people that know Python, C++ and so on, but the other one, very limited, okay? And then the complexity of the trajectory and all the other things. So end up that is very costly, like you said, and it's very difficult to scale it as well because there is no this kind of labor skill force. Now, the, the collaborative start to show up and say, oh, you don't have to program me. You just drag it with your hand and do it in that way. <sighs> That's where the other part of the, 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 the problem is. So sometimes, let's put it that way, sometimes you go inside to, without naming anyone that is not present, and uh, you find collaborative robots in a corner. Very interesting to research on, but they are in a corner. Not everywhere. <laughs> it's not what I'm saying, okay? Sure. And the reason is the capacity of your hands dragging this machine, okay, and really have the machine to do the same thing comes with what is the other expensive part of the robotics. You have to grab a lot of data in order to have a collaborative robot to do it. Just even a little bit of a complex of a trajectory, you have to move this from multiple times in a way. And sometimes you have to repeat it because your hands is not very accurate, okay, drag it. If you have to do maybe a MIG welding, this is a little bit more forgiven because it's larger. Okay, 
Atig welding, hmm, you're starting to have a problem. A laser welding, which is the number one that is used in the battery and in the new vehicle, forget, because the laser spot is around uh, 50 to 70 micron. Forget. You, you, you will take you so much to tune it that it becomes what they say you don't have to program. In reality, you still have the same burden like the industrial robot. The difference is that you drag it. On the other one, you have a pendant. So you move it with the pendant. And then yeah. you click, you move it with the pendant, you click in the cobalt, you move it with your hand and you click, you move it with your hand and you click. So I, I have a feeling that the problem is not being really solved, it's just being moved, it's just being kicked a little bit in a different direction. But then you still have to go to this massive amount of trial and error. Okay, because in reality, even an industrial robot, you don't have to program if you're using the teach pendant. You're just moving in the point. You are recording that one. Then at the end of the day, you have your code that you can launch it over and over and over. And the problem that sometimes you spend weeks just to do this one. Okay. And so yeah. at this point, that's why it's still very expensive. You see, that's why the collaborative didn't really solve the problem in that direction. It comes with another benefit, which is safety. You can work around him without to get hurt because he has sensitive skin and so on. Now, the industrial robots are using skin to basically cover them, okay, mm. with sensor. Yeah. So, but is solving the problem or programming them? No. Is solving the problem to have the right welding? No. And so that's why the problem has to be formulated different. And so that's what we're doing in Saba. So we, in essence, we put the two sides of the brain. First and foremost, it was worth nothing, at least for us, to say, I'm using a language to a language model to auto programming that one. Yeah, but if I send it to the machine and then the machine still do the wrong thing, what's the point? Okay. Yes, you will have your code, but then you have to correct it. Again, that's what happened with the vision system. You have to correct it. Yeah. Okay. And so we started first at the base to develop the machine learning model that recreate the entire physics of the machine. Why? Because that's the industrial AI that I'm, I'm stressing here. Because yeah. so then we know that we can control this system, whatever instruction we send there, we know that it's going to do that and with that amount of tolerance, readability, and consistency. I have the KPI. So I started from there. And then the second brick is the language model to create all the instruction to how to program that. So nobody has to know Fanuc, RLL, and what, uh, but they can speak their own language like it's done in the shop door. But the difference between us and other one is exactly what I said before. We are doing industrial AI. I'm delivering to a machine that I know what it's going to do because that's where I'm started. I, I make first the representation of the machine, not the opposite, not the opposite. Otherwise, I'm not solving the problem. Gotcha. And so we've we've drifted into the other the other major thing that you that you guys are working on, which is the X X cognition. And I and I get a sense that that's the the what what we what you just talked about is sort of the heart of what that is and um i was reading through a couple of the uh the applications and, and just looking at i think i think another before i go into that and stuff the important thing here that may have gotten lost is that this is an agnostic yes you aren't tied to any piece of har specific hardware you can right. implement this in and and i think it it applies to extrude as well and stuff any 3d printer or at least it had, you know, uh, the correct number of axes or, or the amount of controls, uh, granularity that you needed, or a robotic arm in a totally different kind of application like precision welding or precision robotic anything. Is that, uh, exactly is it, that. Yeah. And that, that, that 
the Zaba algorithm is compatible with these things and can be used to power any kind of well, not any kind of robot, maybe, but but specific to an industrial application. Yeah, no, you are absolutely correct. In fact, there are three modules inside to to the Xaba. So one is what we call our internally universal pre and post uh, parser in a way that we can interface with uh, KUKA, FANUC, uh, ABB, Yaskawa, Denso, whatever is the case. And then there is as well a component in ROS into the, the S condition because that one allows us to talk with potential sensors that uh, the, the, that particular industrial machine require in order to function and is important for our brain to know. And we wanted to develop in protocol, like you said it very well, that we are agnostic in that one, okay? And so, and then there are, there are the other two components. One is the language model, which automate again, the part of writing the program. Uh, and then the, the, the other one is, the third component is the machine learning model that represents the physics of the machine. That one is really feature, um, depending if you have a polar axis versus if you have a SCARA situation, versus if it's a delta that is a parallel or versus is a Cartesian, okay? So um, it can work with all of that one and we, we patent in, uh, in, in all that direction, uh, but that's exactly what it does. Obviously, uh, the machine learning is different. The one for the polar axis is different than the one from the Cartesian and, yeah. uh, and the delta is different because of the kinematics comes with, uh, with that, so. Gotcha, gotcha. And how do the, how did the machine? Just so I understand, how does the machine learning part of it come in, and how do we expand that into the AI part of it? Is it is it is it like a digital twin kind of virtual environment, sort of a physics informed? Like here's the weight of the arm, here's yeah. the environment that you're in, here's the the payload or the whatever it is, and it. It runs a series of simulations. It, it knows where it's trying to get, and it sort of runs through a bunch of simulations until it figures, okay, here's how I make that happen, given everything that's, that's it, it will exist yeah. in the real world. And then the intelligence is some other part of it, and maybe you can go into that yeah. part. No, no, it's, it's a fantastic question, Mike. Uh, unbelievable. And so let me start because it's multifaceted what, what you ask here. And so let's start with the uh, machine learning aspect, okay, on that. And so the machine learning aspect, again, represent all the elastomechanics uh, aspect in the physics of the machine. And you said the other word that is used uh, overwhelmingly, if I can so in that way, currently, which is the digital twin. No? Yeah. Now, there's been a lot of pollution in the digital twin because yeah. sometimes the digital twin get presented, but in reality, it's an augmented reality. So yeah. they sell you as an because they say, oh, here we go, your phone, your tablet, you can see the machine running yeah. and so on. Yeah, but that one is an augmented reality that doesn't yeah. really express the physics of that one. I will never announce the capacity or solve the problem of the trajectory with that, okay? Just, just to make some, some contest. The other thing, kind of a pollution that has been by large manufacturing of machine controller is the fact to say, ah, we sell you the control now and we're going to give you as well the digital twin. What do they sell? They basically sell the CAD model of the machine where you can see the machine moving and then they plop the PLC on that one. So you see the instruction that is following again, but there is not the physics. So if they, for example, the cross rail of the machine really bend and then you have a bad machining, you still have the one to figure it out why. And you have to go in the machine, fix it, collect the point and correct it. 
Why instead our digital twin is different and is really physics-based? Because for once, we really train the machine, uh, the machine learning with the physics of the machine. So that means that we move the machine around with different masses, uh, uh, learning all the ontology that I said before, in this case as well, different temperature, depending on how much you want to extend it. And then that's the beauty in mind. When the, the, the machine learning synthesize the model of the machine, that's where is the major paramount uh, difference here. He synthesized that one, doesn't need a closed loop anymore. Mm. When he works, uh, because he learned it, he, you have the physics. It's like if you're running the real one. So when I'm sending the program to the machine, I'm not running in closed loop because I know that the machine, the, he synthesized it to the entire space for that particular temperature condition. Otherwise, the model upgrades himself. Okay. And so there is no closed loop that, that, that because the closed loop is the other point that sometimes I have in discussion. Is good from safety if you want to be, let's say, oh, let's be sure that there is a safety if something goes wrong. But if you are closing the loop, that means that in somehow you made an error and then you are trying to correct and, and you leave the error right there. And so that's the major difference. When you have a machine learning that really learned that and it synthesized the entire space of the physics, you can program and it corrects immediately without you being in the machine. And what I sent to the machine, it doesn't work in closed loop. My robot do the welding without any closed loop, any need of the vision system recorrecting on that. Do I want to do it later on? Yes, because I, I'm starting to communicate with the vision guy. Look, this technology can help you tremendously because finally you will have a, a machine with, with a, digit, a real digital twin that can train your, your vision system with right data because right now you are capturing data that are polluted by the uncertainty of the machine and you are pretending mm. to train a deep learning model with bogus data. And that's why when we were approached by Lockheed Martin that he was doing a lot of different tentative in, in the drilling, it was an interesting problem because it couldn't be, that's, the, that's what I call the paradox of the vision system, no? And yeah. First, you're training with wrong data because you never spend the time to really capture your machine. You have to capture the physics. Otherwise, the point that you send to your vision system, it can be even a microscope per se with a humongous resolution. It doesn't matter. The points are bogus. You, you will never get the, uh, the, the, the right information. So there we go. So that's that's one component that we have. So is the uh, true uh, digital twin on that one. When we generate the program, that one takes into account the physics immediately. And so that means that, that we are not limited by speed of transferring data to a control or process that require a very high uh, rate of, uh, uh, of controlling that one or a, a sensor that cannot see. For example, when you try to uh, visualize a correction and you have, for example, a welding with a lot of spark there or, or pollution or steam or whatever, even the data that you have to retrieve from whatever sensor you are using, you need the time to process them. You need the time to clean it. So that's why it, it, it's limited. Okay, you're not really attacking in the in, in, in the right way. ...of sensor around with laser tracker pointing on them, and then they correct. For once, it costs a fortune. Okay, two, when you have that constellation, your machine is not be able to do the job because it is so big the envelope it cannot fit anymore to take them the factor where it wants. Okay, so uh, we, we can talk forever for that one. So I think <laughs> that S condition could be a humongous as well enabler yeah. for a next generation of what the vision system can really do. Okay. okay. Okay, and I did want to touch on the the uh, the testing that you did with uh, Lockheed Martin, sure. looking at 
you know, um, I, I, don't, I don't remember the specifics of it, but it was basically testing using standard kind of industrial robots, standard off the shelf, uh, you know, uh, national instrument instruments kind of controller, nothing special, nothing proprietary, uh, and just seeing how precise can we get two operations to be performed by a robot without X cognition and then with, and then yeah. if you could speak to the results and, and why. Yeah. yeah. So we, we, we basically got the approach because there was, um, and I, let's say the, this, the sentiment of, of Lockheed was we want to do more with robotics, but unfortunately the robotics today are, are really limited. Okay. In what they can do, especially in operation like drilling. Okay. So let's yeah. assume that I want to do a drilling operation, which has to be precise, in an absolute way where I position the drill and relative to each other, okay? And so we started in that one and uh, the scenario was um, a very commercial industrial robot, nothing special, like you said, a PC that is controlling this robot. Nothing and then special. We put our, yeah. Exactly, we put our S condition on top of that one um, in, in order to augment this scenario, like we're describing. So now that one has been augmented with the brain, that really understand the machine and the process that you're about to do and put the machine in the best condition to express the best that it can do, really, okay? And so we measure the performance of the machine with and without this condition in doing this one. And the result that we collected is not just an improvement of, okay, we're 50% better. No, it's an order of magnitude, 10 times. Okay? Yeah. It's an order of magnitude. So now what that means, it means that because that's the other question that I'm getting. Oh, okay, so your technology is good for high precision path. No, 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 you're missing the point. Um, um, the reason that now you have a machine that you can control the, the, what the machine does, open up to you the opportunity for once, for example, of not buying a super expensive CNC machine tool that costs 10 times more than a robot, has ton of real estate that is coming, but that robot can do that job plus other one. Number two, the most important thing, if you are removing the uncertainty on your machine, you are increasing the quality of what you are doing. So that means that you are decreasing tremendously all the waste that today are you doing because you're not controlling your process because your process has too much variance. So it doesn't matter if you have a pick in place because you're moving a box or if you are assembling a car door or if you are uh, drilling for an aerospace component, you, you should have that one by principle. Because that's why today you are spending a lot of time in program that machine because the integrator that constantly recorrect with the tablet, oh, let's do this one, oh, a little bit of that, oh, let's move that one because of this, because the machine has a huge variance. But it's not the problem of the hardware. That's what I found it very interesting when I moved the brain from my own robot to a commercial one. Is the fact that the hardware has incredible capacity has never been used in that way. What, what mm. we were talking at the beginning. We were arrogant to say, ah, yeah, the robot, you know, they cannot do that job. They can just move boxes from A to B, and then maybe we can correct it with some camera. Wrong, wrong, wrong. That robot has incredible capacity. We documented that one. We did the same thing with the cobot, and we obtained humongous results uh, in that direction. Uh, and so now you have an incredible, consistent, accurate, repeatable system that can auto-program itself. Now you can do industrial operation. That's what is called industrial AI. Yeah. industrial graded operation with yeah. machine that you couldn't do before that, that, so, that's really yeah. so industrial robots whoever makes them have capabilities that they've always had but we just 
due to the complexity of the feedback loop, the programming, the environmental variables, the the structural, who knows what's, you know, a bearing is going out or something like that. And it's creating, you know, uh, unaccountable, un- unaccounted for variables in the thing. And so we just haven't gone there yet because we didn't have the tools to do it. Exactly. Something like X cognition allows, allows someone to fully implement all the capabilities of a robot in ways that people didn't realize it was possible. Exactly. Or they, they knew it and it was like the cost and time and all that stuff was like, uh, just, no, you know what I mean? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. My, you phrase it very well. Okay. Just a, I, I, I've kept you too long, but I, I really appreciate you spending the time with me. Just a few little things. The algorithm that you guys specialize in, this is most AI we think of as cloud-based. It takes huge amounts of servers and so on and so forth. We have to connect over the thing. Is this something that lives in the controller? Does it live so in an industrial PC? Where does that, where does that code I'm, live? I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you asked that so all the part so we so is the cloud absolutely necessary for the computation no, no. Uh, the, the the aspect the machine learning for example that control the body of the machine can work very well on your pc it doesn't okay. require 94 gpu in order to require that one neither right. the language model that we develop because of the way that we develop now we can deploy it on the cloud but we do that one simply because is easier for some, not for everybody, but for some users to say, you know, I, let me give you my, my web page. You just go there. You don't have to install anything. You connect with us, generate your program and go. But the one that we deploy on the machine, the one that really enabled the machine to do that one works in the same PC that robots are using on themselves. It does not, because otherwise I would have failed tremendously. If I would have, if as condition, the part that control the body of the machine, for whatever reason, I would have made an architecture. My algorithm would require high-performance computing to do that one. Would it be a failure? Because you are not. Your brain is attached to you. You're not working on that one to control that one in the time and in the in, in the speed and the performance that you want. Okay. So let, let's assume a moment. I'm performing a welding, and for whatever reason, sorry, uh, uh, again, I shouldn't name it. Some of the big cloud service provider decided to put a delay, a lag in your network and then right. all the welding that you're doing is screwed because yeah. it, it, you know okay so that's exactly the again that's why i'm saying something is 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 just a play something else if you're building something for industrial so right. I, I was right. fortunate enough to be involved in major problem that ultimately have to result in physical thing okay that they gotcha. can fly can run on a on a on a on a street and without killing people and, and, and all of that. So that, that's gotcha. that's what I learned. You have to be graded in that way. You have to be very cautious and thinking about that that aspect. So there's a lim- there's a, a level of determinism and real time responsiveness to an industrial application that isn't that is what industrial aid is is integral to the industrial AI as opposed to Whenever we get around to, I mean, relatively speaking, the relative, I'll get around to when I get around to kind of of a generative, more popularized kind of conception of AI. Absolutely, Mike. And as a matter of fact, about deterministic versus stochastic, 
the algorithm that train our recognition for the body, for learning his body, his physics, his elastomechanical dynamic representation, is funny because is divided in two components. One is stochastic, the other one is deterministic. Hmm. Because is a quasi stochastic aspect because he has to do he had to add that part of deterministic in order to say yeah that's now i know who i am okay and the combination that are there just to tell you okay it's not true that is all stochastic no no it's a quasi stochastic aspect of training very well and that is totally deterministic so gotcha okay what's the what's the plan for the future more more sort of uh test uh, i'm test i sort of collaborations with robo robotics makers to sure. to say here's what we're think can do for your robot and then they can think in terms of marketing that as a part of their robotic solution hey we we're powered by zaba and here's all the stuff our robot can do never mind that all the other ones could do the same thing if if they had zaba in them but is that is that the is that the future uh, the path forward are there other projects that i might not be aware of be no, no, no. we have few projects obviously uh, let's put it that way um some um part of the future that has already started as well it's not really in the future is in progress we're establishing um, relationship and partnership with robotics integrator because they are the one on the field mm -hmm. and uh, and they are the one that really love as well as cognition because it doesn't work only with new machine. It works with old machine. And so the retrofitting for them is really nice. Yeah. Plus our business model is subscription based. So mm. it's different from the capex per kilo that they, they, they've been used until now in the robotics field. So. That's one thing. So relationship with the integrator. Then we have strategic POC with large corporation uh, where in essence they are introducing our technology to really bring robotics, um, really automated robotics, uh, cognition robotics into that process. The goal for us ultimately is to democratize the, 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 the possibility to use the robotic for everybody. Okay. Yeah. So in a way that we can really take that one. And by doing that democratization, the other part that we are looking for, that later on Xabi will be a, a, an incredible platform of manufacturing knowledge. Because my system is learning at this point. Uh, every application that we do is grows. Eh? It grows in, in amount of learning. It doesn't have to do the training again, because at this point, you map that family of robotics completely or that process. And so that's beauty, because then at that point, what is the question from the mom and pop shop, even from the large corporation? In reality, my question is never being, oh, I want a 60 kilo payload robot or 100 kilo. No, 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 no. I want to weld. That's my question. I want to mm. build that frame in that amount of time. But if you're asking to an integrator or to another one, they will tell you, look at the catalog. Just, just to look at me. Look at the catalog how they are. 60 kilo, 80 kilo, 90 kilo, short. Is that the question? I, I don't think so. And so that, that's why I'm saying that we're positioning that one in, in a different way. We will get there the more data that we're collecting and so on, but just to, you ask me about the future. So strategic POC, uh, relationship with the integrator because they have a humongous channel, retrofitting as well machine that are on the field today, not necessarily just the new one, and then democratization of this robotics knowledge because everybody will benefit. When we have that kind of data, try to imagine the impact that we can have by presenting this data, even at the design level, even crafting a new machine, even defining a new process, it would be amazing even for us to learn what really automation can do this famous design for manufacturing. So, right. So more time that the, the algorithm gets to spend in the real world yeah, doing yeah. real things, the smarter oh, yeah. it gets, the smart, the 
the smarter everybody's Zaba sort of powered robot becomes. Right. So it's a product exactly. that gets better with time as it as it gets more and more clever. Um, and everyone benefits exactly. from it. Correct. That's exactly what we see uh, already. Because, uh, by the way, we have developed uh, the first um, aspect that uh, help. You know, it makes possible for us for new robotic system not even acquiring the data from the physical robot anymore, but really we can generate the data ourselves synthetically because mm. now we have the physics of your family, and so we right. can understand the variance that even the constructor have. So at this point, the software, before even the machine is there, we just ask the customer, you know what, just do a simple test with your arm. That's it. Then I will send you the model because we have already captured the variance of that one and know how much we can push the envelope. We are, we are in the process of producing synthetic data already. Great. Great. Is there anything else that I didn't think of to ask or that you'd like to add or that we didn't cover? No, I think I, I really, really enjoy it. And, uh, Me the, too. The question it's been great. Yeah, Thank uh, you. Really, really fine. No, no, no. A, a huge pleasure. Like I said before, education of this technology is so important because we have antibody outside. So I say this one every time. So thank you. Thank you for this possibility. No problem. No problem. Well, thank you again. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Ciao. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the Design Engineering Podcast's other episodes at www.design-engineering.com slash podcasts or subscribe to the podcast via the major streaming services including apple stitcher spotify and google podcasts